over the past decade, facility equipment reliability has been elevated from an often vague ideal to a mission-critical goal with benefits that outweigh both cost and complexity. As a result, well-run organizations now consider reliability to be an important element of their strategic and tactical plans and initiatives. This new reality impacts nearly every function, from procurement to maintenance, repair, and operation inventory management. Over the same period, savvy plant management has also embraced the philosophy that maximum reliability requires more than well-functioning equipment. What other correlated activities must organizations also engage in? This is your host, Blair Fraser. In this week's episode of Maintenance Disrupted, I welcome Dan Moss, VP Operations at Performance Consulting Associates, otherwise known as PCA, to talk about the journey to reliability, the roadmap for success. But before we get into this episode, a quick note from our sponsor. Most experts are already in agreement and have been for decades that poor or inadequate lubrication is the primary cause of industrial equipment wear and failure. At Maintenance Disrupted, we are on a mission to stop equipment failure through community and education. That is why we are very excited to announce that Maintenance Disrupted is the official media sponsor of the Lubrication and Reliability Virtual Summit taking place on September 14th. This event brings together all the major global stakeholders, including OEMs, oil manufacturers, service providers, and recognized industry influencers, and more, to not only provide valuable, actionable content, but to also identify, plan, and put into action the future needs of the lubricant and hydraulic market to guarantee its success and develop the next generation lubrication technology. If you are in maintenance and reliability, then by default, you are in the lubrication field as well. We invite you to check out the Lubrication and Reliability Virtual Summit taking place on September 14th by going to the maintenancedisrupted.com website and clicking on the LRVS link on the homepage. This will take you directly to the event page to find more information and register by simply using this link. And by using this link, you are helping out the show. We hope to see you live virtually at this event. And now back to our show. All right, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. Today on the podcast, we have Dan Moss, who's the VP of Operations at PCA Consulting. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Blair. So, Dan, the reason I reached out and, and asked for you to to come on the show is there was a uh, um, well, there's there's two reasons. I'll get in the other one, and I'm sure I'll address it when you talk about um, PCA Consulting and, and what you guys do there. But we came across your a blog post. Right. And I, it was titled um, Journey to Reliability, the Roadmap to Success. Right. And there are a few key points in that that I think it was a shorter blog post, but it was really well written. And you were able to bring in some analogies from from your personal life. And it focused not just on, you know, equipment reliability, but, you know, something that we've been talking about in community a long time is the the culture, the reliability, the, the culture, the leadership part of it, right? And I think it was a really good. I'll, I'll include the the blog post um, in the in the show notes so um, our audience can can read it. Um, 
So, Dan, if you don't mind, just giving us a quick introduction to yourself and, and PCA. Okay. Well, let me start with PCA. PCA stands for Performance Consulting Associates. Uh, PCA has been in the, the business optimization business for 45 years. Uh, actually focused initially on operations and uh, business performance, business excellence. But the founder, Dick DeFazio, recognized fairly early on that a lot of what he was dealing with, a lot of the issues that clients needed help with was in the maintenance realm. Uh, he got involved uh, more and more focusing upon that. And actually, PCA uh, spun off of his original company, which was called OMG, Operations uh, Manufacturing Group, I believe. Uh, and PCA ended up focusing upon maintenance. Uh, as time progressed, the recognition that when you're working in maintenance, if the parts part is not well run, you're going to be suboptimized. That's so true. then we began to focus upon the MRO stores, the materials aspect. And I actually got involved with PCA as a client around 2000, 2001. I was the reliability manager at a large plant. And oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yep. I had begun. Uh, so now I'm going to link in my background. So a mechanical engineer started in the pulp and paper industry, various engineering roles and realized at the end of the 1980s, wow, this whole realm of maintenance could use more rigor, more discipline that my engineering background had given me. And so I started focusing upon maintenance, moved into the reliability realm. And like I said, the path of PCA and my path connected as a client in 2000, 2001. And they helped me set up the reliability program at our plant. Uh, that interest in reliability led me to get a master's degree in maintenance management and reliability engineering in 2006. And I continued to work in plants, moved into a corporate reliability manager role and uh, really found a niche there that I loved working with plants, helping them to identify their needs and then chart a path towards putting in place the processes, the methods, uh, procedures to be successful in reliability. And so this that, is in that, those, that, that, process the pieces together is what you refer to as the roadmap in that blog right that very important that very important roadmap that we're going to get into and that's great and it's interesting because when you look at um you know i i think of pca you know it, it's it's a and dick's done a great job it's a really it's a it's a niche it's a very sought out when you do something really really well you don't need the hype around certain things, right? And that's right. that that's how I see PCA. They're ninjas, they're they're very targeted, very focused um consulting agency that that um you know there's there's and it's good. There's no flashy lights, there's right it, it it's it's really focused on delivering that that value. And it's interesting to to learn about the you know the business operations side of it and then progressing into that. And it's always interesting we always say that this this community that we all are part of is a small community. And very, very few of us leave. We try, but somehow we get sucked back in. One of our foot or toes gets sucked back in, right? And it's always right. interesting. And and you know, 
the best consultants I've worked at is you do, worked with is you don't know their consultants, right? And they also they're not just textbooks. They've typically come from industry, right? Right. You can you can learn theory pretty well, but unless you've been there and done that, it's very hard to share that knowledge. So it's I, I can see why yeah uh, Dick and team would uh, would scoop someone like you up and and bring you to the quote unquote other side of it, right? Um, and it's also great to see you know PCA investing in a lot of people that I I grew up with and and um, respected quite well of of um, Bruce Hawkins and and Red and and those guys, right? Um, you know, just from my previous career working with those guys in MRO and things like that, it's 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 great to see the the pure talent and respect um, within within the PCA group. Right. Um, I was going to say you mentioned one thing there, um, the experience. So within our team, I'm actually one of the young kids uh, on the block, and I'd passed 39 years uh, in industry just a few days ago. And that's the young kid on the block. And I'm one of the young kids. On the <laughs> we got, oh, I'd say we've got three or four uh, field engineers, but but even those folks have 15 to 20 to 25 years of experience. So right. it is a team that has a pretty deep well of experiential base, uh, as well as working with different clients so that we get to see different perspectives too. One of my last gigs was uh, the maintenance and reliability manager in a greenfield tissue plant. And it gave me a completely different perspective because everything else had been in plants that were 40, 50, exactly. literally some 100-year-old plants. And now I'm in a greenfield plant. And it is a bit of a different perspective. Some, obviously, it's same elements. But, but what we ran into is a tremendous amount of design issues and initial install issues that, you know, those had already been worked out in all of my 40, 50, 60-year-old plants. Uh, so we've got a team that has that broad experiential base. So yeah, and it's I, I, good with those guys, Bruce and Red. I've talked with both of them in the last two days. Great, yeah, no, and that's a great example of you know it, what you said was it has the same elements, but w- what I find and what I tell people, and I'm still learning this, you know, reliability journey as well, is there's no recipe for success. Everyone you know wants this. I put two parts this, one part planning schedule, two parts MRO, and I have a world class organization. And that's not it. It's that broad experience of knowing what has worked, what hasn't in these various conditions. As you said, a greenfield plant, a lot of different problems than a brownfield, right? You are that exactly that right. that design for reliability. If you don't get that from scratch, and we see that all the time with lowest cost vendor wins, and um, you know specifically engineering might not have every best interest of maintenance in mind. My, my goal is to get this project in and on budget. I'm going to do that. Good luck maintaining it, but my part's done and I get my bonus, right? Exactly. Um, we've got you clients we work with that have, we've been on the journey with them. I'm thinking of one in particular we've worked with for, for 12 years who have gotten to the point to where they're now incorporating design for reliability, design for maintainability in their capital project approval process. And that is such a smart thing to do. And yet it doesn't necessarily happen. doesn't happen very often. Actually. It, it doesn't. And I could tell you just from, from being on the, the vendor equipment supplier side. Um, I remember the first time I got a, um, it was a, um, an RFI request for information at that time. It wasn't even the proposal stage and it had, um, 
the reliability mindset built into it. It was, mm. it was, I was just so excited. I had to call the procurement manager. I'm like, I'm so excited about this, right? Because it had that aspect to it. Even if I didn't win the bid, I was very excited for them that they're thinking about that. And I'm sure you would know this site. They're in Ontario and Hamilton, a prominent steel mill that's very mature in reliability. Um, but um, you can see that, you know, that culture being brought into, and the procurement has no idea what reliability is, right? No, no clue but it was built into that process. And obviously those people that did influence their bid, right? And it, it's so great to see that maturity. And it, it is interesting too, I picked on the fact that, you know, what you're working with that client right now, 12 years in, right? Right. So reliability, and it, we see this when, um, you know, when quote unquote, people think reliability is equipment uptime, which is going to go to my first question here, because um, the first part of your blog, post was about that. Um, but it's the sustainability part of it, right? It, it's mm-hmm. it, That is the biggest piece. And the fact that you've been working with this client for 12 years tells us two things. One is the journey is, it, 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 it's, it, it's a con- constant evolving journey, right? And and two, you must be doing some really good work if they've, if they've had you embedded there for, for 12 years, right? I think that speaks to the quality and the culture within, within PCA consulting. Um, so I'll, I'll get into that, that question there. So, um, you know, in that blog post, you talk about, you know, plant management, those people that are, uh, have decision and responsibility for, for, for reliability. Um, yes, about f- focusing on well-functioning equipment, but your, your blog talks about, you know, embracing a philosophy that requires more than just well-functioning equipment. What what other activities should they be looking at instead of just looking at well-functioning equipment to get, you know, that top quartile reliability, if you want to put it that way? Right. One of the things that I've learned, and I'm going to go back to when I was a, a corporate reliability manager for a, a large um, forest products company, is you can have good processes, you can have good methods, you can, you can do a really good job at the predictive maintenance, but that's a discrete element. Coordinating, putting it all into the, the broader picture of uh, what are the specific needs, the greater gaps right now, mm-hmm. and establishing a plan to progressively build upon that with what are the, um, what are the things that are really going to move the lever? Now, there are several things that reliability brings. Uh, in fact, I'm, I have to jump to a quick story, and that is around safety. So I know reliability can help improve the productivity of our equipment. It enhances the efficiency of our team, uh, reduces cost, improves safety. The very first uh, implementation we did was a assessment followed by helping them build their plan. And then we gave moderate amount of support, you know, a week, a month for them to execute their plan. (laughs) A year after we were into that process, I got an email from the operations manager, not the maintenance manager, the operations manager. And so I thought he was going to email and say, thank you for the help in improving our OEE by 4% because they'd seen a tremendous improvement in their OEE. Blair, that's not what he mentioned. He said, I want to thank you. He said, when you guys came in, we were averaging, uh, we had an OIR of over three point something. So in other words, they were getting people injured 
on a fairly frequent basis. He said, we've gone an entire year and we've not had a single injury. And I am convinced it is that we're more methodical. We're planning, we're scheduling. It's the things that a reliability mindset will, will bring. So when I, when I look at helping people uh, with in their journey, I'm looking at the end in, in mind, that destination. And so that's what a, a roadmap really calls to my mind is that there's an end destination we want to get to with a initial understanding of where we are, where we want to get to and how we're going to get to, how we're going to get there. That really brings up the roadmap mentality for me. Uh, now you asked, what are the other things that are in there? There's a lot of discrete elements that I'm sure you've talked, uh, talked about frequently on your podcast. Good PDM, a, a PM program, PM compliance, having good planning, uh, RCM analysis or FMEA to set up the structure. Mm-hmm. But here's what I learned when I started in that consulting. Absolutely critical is the leadership and the culture. And initially, I thought culture and leadership were pretty balanced. They both were critical. Now, I've come to understand leadership is absolutely paramount. Culture will respond. Culture will either follow or will react to leadership. Good leadership, they follow. Poor leadership, they react to. And oftentimes, it's not pretty, the reaction to poor leadership. Um, So when I start thinking about the intangibles, I think about leadership. I think about communication. A big piece of the roadmap for me as a child, and for those who've read the blog, as a kid, I was into I was into the roadmap, and I was following our journey as we traveled from my home in Cincinnati, Ohio, to uh, rural Crowley's Ridge, Arkansas. I followed on the roadmap. Well, the same principle is true when you're making this reliability journey. If you have a good roadmap and not just the leaders, but the team understands, has a decent understanding of the roadmap, but specifically their details, you know, um, as I was thinking this through, there are some areas on that journey. Let, Let me go back. And fess up. When I was young, the interstate system wasn't complete. <laughs> so, so we would ride on the interstate for a little while, and then we'd jump onto a two-lane road, knowing those were coming, knowing that there were options sometime on the two-lane road, uh, knowing where the construction was partially completed. All of those were things that were helpful for, for us to know. It's kind of similar in the journey to uh, from reactive, from repair focused to a reliability proactive focused, that journey uh, takes time. There are some potential pitfalls, but having the roadmap that the team understands and the team follows, I think is one of the uh, big pluses that a plant needs to make sure they have in place. So excellent, excellent. I answered your question. You you did, and and more so. And what I really took away from that was the importance of leadership and communication. And I couldn't agree with you more because I, I've never, to be honest with you, I never really thought about that. About because I agree, I thought culture and leadership were 
two peas in a pod, right? Like they're they're together. But you're right. If you have strong leadership, the culture will will follow. Because if you look at why you have bad culture, I've I've seen it firsthand, and I've given this analogy. And I, I was working with um, in, in Canada, one of Canada's largest food producers, and we're working um, on a, a bid for a reliability transformation project. And I met the person at a executive level from this company and they we were looking at, you know, their traditional metrics around OEE injuries, downtime, MROs, and it was like bottom of the barrel, just poor, poor. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out like, why is it so poor? And I met the person that's in charge at a very executive level. And the first thing they said to me when I walked in the room was, I don't need to like you. You just need to get me results. Right. And the light bulb went out, uh, went off. Sorry. I'm like, I think I found the issue. Right. And I, and I remember saying like, I don't think we're going to bid on this work. Like, how could you not? Right. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Right. Um, so that's very, very true and very good point. Yeah. A couple of other things that I thought of, and I actually jotted a couple of notes, integrity, credibility, and trust. Boy, what we're aiming towards is moving a typically a very large ship. When you're talking about a plant culture, a plant, uh, the direction they're heading, you're talking about changing the direction that is really built upon integrity, credibility, and trust. The story you just illustrated, uh, there doesn't sound like there's a lot of integrity, credibility, and trust no, there. Exactly. So that, that's definitely high on my list. Mentioned the leadership. Communication, communication, a couple of points on communication. Communication is listening first, speaking second. But I don't want to forget the writing and documentation because the sustainability piece, we are really in the business of helping folks document, build history to be able to make good business decisions. But you've got to have the listening and then the speaking communication piece and then writing and documenting. And then the final thing is the teamwork. And personally, I'm, I'm from the perspective that the servant leadership role is paramount. Uh, it goes back to building the trust, the credibility. But I've also found that my role as a leader, when I am able to cast a clear vision, help articulate a plan, the roadmap, if you will, to get there, then a lot of my work is removing roadblocks, is identifying the obstacles that are ahead and what can we do about that? Well, that to me, um, the servant leadership role is a good way to do that. Um, I've had roles even as a maintenance and reliability manager where I was in the plant at six o'clock in the morning simply to meet with my team, talk with the guys and hear from them, it, it may be some cultural things. In some cases, early on, typically, it's the uh, trying to make that operations maintenance teamwork mm -hmm. be a little bit of a lubricant in there. There, there, yeah. and, there might be some friction in between those. Absolutely. In that higher level role, I'm at actually able to, to have some influence because I'm talking with the operational managers. I'm you know, in the controls. So that's what I see that servant leadership. That's just a quick, I could expound upon that further, but I know right. about more things during this uh, 
this <laughs> part. No, that's great, Dan. Thank you for that. So I, I want to get on to um, the roadmaps that you were talking about. And you're, you know, given the analogy of childhood and, and going through trying to, to get across the, the states and, and, and using that as an analogy. So when you're looking at a, you know, I guess the right word would be a reliability roadmap. What are the, the some of the key features that need to be in that roadmap? Okay. Uh, I've already mentioned about having the end state in mind. Okay. Uh, now, PCA and you know our peers in this niche market, we all recognize that there are certain elements that comprise what best in class looks like. Uh, we've got metrics that tie to them, percent of maintenance cost uh, as a percentage of the replacement asset value, inventory levels, et cetera, et cetera. But even beyond that, what does it look like in terms of organizational structure? How do the teams function together? I've already alluded to it one time, the operational maintenance uh, coordination aspect, absolutely critical, absolutely critical. So having that destination in mind is one of the, the key elements. Uh, another is knowing where you are. Now, our process, and then we're pretty similar to, to everybody else in that we recognize the essential nature of knowing where you are to be able to chart the path to where you want to be. So those two things are critical. Then it comes down to identifying of the routes that are available, and there always are different routes you can take to get there. What's the route that is the best fit for the, the, the corporate vision? Uh, what's the best route for the culture in place? And then the capabilities that exist to be able to make that journey. In a, in a similar way, going from Cincinnati to uh, Arkansas, there was some interstate. There were many uh, U.S. highways and U.S. highways in the 60s and 70s. That was how you traveled the majority of the time. Picking out which ones of those, which ones went through big cities. We wanted to avoid the big cities and the potential of traffic. But at that time, you also wanted to make sure that you had gas stations and that sort of thing. <laughs> Believe it or not, in the 50 years since we used to make that trip, things were different then. You, you just didn't use in the 60s, you didn't pull up your phone and use Waze or Google Maps <laughs> to get there. I was thinking about how this might not connect with anybody who hasn't used a map and <laughs> always had cell phones. That's right. Back then you didn't have any of those things. You had to truly, you had to know your route and you had to have a map to help guide you. Um, so uh, the similar connection to the to the journey for a plant is that you know where you're starting from, you know where you're going, you know different routes and you choose a route that you're going to follow. So I think that's well articulated. And what I really like about that is, you know, so know where you want to get to, right? Of what that looks like. And it's not just one thing you're trying to get, right? You mentioned about the different um, metrics you can look at. And the other part is, well, where are you now, right? I want to, right? I'm in Cincinnati, but I need to get to Arkansas, 
right? Um, so where do I, like, where am I now to plan that? And what was very interesting for me, and I took note of this, and this will be a highlight in the, in some of the promotions I use for this podcast is identifying the route that is the best fit based on some, some other variables you need to consider. And this goes back to that statement we talked about early on is there's no one size fits all. Like there, if there was this magical thing that we could offer everyone, do you want better reliability? Grab it off the shelf. Here you go. It does. It doesn't exist. And there's a reason, right? Because every plant, every culture, every leader is different. Right. And I think that's a great way of putting that is identifying the best route. Cause it's, as I said, it's not two parts. If I do RCM, I'm, I'll have, I'll get to this place I want to get to. It's you can, you can do the best RCM in the world, but it's going to sit on a shelf. If you don't have the best execution, the best planning and scheduling and all that kind of stuff. Right. Exactly right. So let me ask you, have you ever gone down a path where you thought this would be the best fit. Okay. This, this route is the best fit. And then somewhere in that journey, hopefully it's early on, but it can be later on where you said, you know what, this road is a gravel road. It's closed because of flooding. I got to turn back and find a different way to, to get there. Is that common? Uh, okay. If you're asking, do you have to, uh, fairly frequently touch base with where you are and say, am I in the place I thought I'd be on the roadmap? Yes, that's fairly common. Uh, in fact, uh, our typical engagement includes the initial assessment, working through an implementation and pausing in the middle and doing another assessment just to make sure, are we on track? Do we need to adjust? Now, all through that, you should be gauging how are we doing moving towards our goal? Uh, utilization of both final end game KPIs, we want to put those in place, but also process KPIs that we're using to chart the progress on path. Uh, so that's, that's one thing, but I'm going to answer it in another way. I've had, give me just a, give me just a second here. I've probably had personal engagements where I've led implementations God, 30, 30 or so. And I've had a couple where I allowed the initial parameters that the client put on me to be very narrow. And those have ended up, we got to a place where we had, didn't have the results that I wanted. Um, the client probably wasn't satisfied either because of what we had mutually agreed upon, but it really went back to, barriers, guardrails put on early on that that limited us evaluating and making course corrections along the way. Right. It really is as simple as that. Uh, one of them, the point of contact at the plant, he wanted to be in control of every single activity. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, he didn't have the bandwidth and he didn't allow us to do the things we needed to do. And that goes back to the leadership thing we were talking about, right? Actually, both of them, when I think about it, go back to uh, leadership issues. Right. And, uh, and how important that is. You know, right. it, what you just described about the, the executive level person that you mm -hmm. ran into and you declined to bid, at the beginning, if I had been more savvy, both of these times are on back in my career, mm -hmm. but if I'd been more savvy, I should have answered like you did. Right. Uh, 
when the initial presentation was made of the plan and it was the the point of contact and two other people in the room, <laughs> when the realization is a team needs to carry this out, I should have said timeout. No, I didn't. Right. That's one of the reasons um, at 39 years, I'm finally beginning to think I can give other people some good advice. <laughs> Fine, at 39. 38 was that cutoff. As soon as you hit 39, 39 years then, of experience, then, you, then you've had the respect of others and you can give that good advice. That's right. Um, no, that that's, that's great. I think, you know, this whole concept of, of that reliability roadmap, right. And, and, you know, what I see from, um, from PCA and, and people like you is, bringing that experience, right? As I said, you can't, it's not a recipe. So bringing that experience of that 39 years worth of experience. And if you're the young guy, the combined centuries of experience, right? Because you, we, what we have to do is learn from the past, right? Okay. I've had this similar situation where, you know, it might not be, yes, your planning and scheduling sucks and your MRO sucks, but the the biggest initiative we can do right now is MRO, for example, your planning still going to suck for a bit. That's the reality. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm just making that up. I don't know. I'm not saying that's the right approach to take, but you know what I'm saying is we've seen this before. We've got better results to help support the program and initiative forward. Right. The low hanging fruit is this, and then we'll start to tackle once we get buy-in, once we get support, then we'll tackle the, the more challenging aspects of it. Right. Right. The, the pace to getting to the final destination would be faster if plants were a little more forward thinking. And I mean, let's, we, we got to be honest, there's, there's budget, there's budget both in internal resources as well as the, the dollars spent with consultants uh, supporting to get there. So if they were able to take the more holistic approach at the beginning, build the roadmap map that includes the MRO, the reliability, the the work management, they would get to their end destination quicker. That is not how most plants are. Uh, it, it They do look at where is their greatest pain point in most cases and then contact us. And what we find is we can usually help them with their pain point. The results in most cases set the stage for the other elements. Uh, we recognize that the work management the work identification, planning, scheduling is one of the fundamentals. And then having the stores right typically falls a little bit after that because of Mm. the marriage really of the planning and the stores piece. Those are fundamentals. Does it mean you can't have a predictive maintenance program in place? No, no, no. Have your predictive maintenance program in place, but they become uh, more effective when you have a good process where you prioritize and you rationalize the findings that are coming from your PDM, coming from your PDM, PDM and PM programs, if you're doing the operator care, which we we love it when plants mature enough to do that, mm-hmm. you've got all these streams coming in, feeding your work identification control. If it's healthy, good prioritization, man, now you're getting to the point to where you've got a, a well-oiled system it's going to work smoothly and you're going to be getting significant amounts of the right work done in the right way. That's when you're going to be achieving those, those high, high uh, availability rates. You're going to be seeing your 
uh, reactivity at low, low rates. We all know that in the reactive environment is when you have the greater risk from injuries. It, it, it all works together. Exactly. And that comes from experience. And that's where, you know, I call them accelerators, where you have the tools to be able to not have to reinvent the wheel every time. Right. So you're not, you shouldn't have to start from scratch, but the, the example I give is, is my, my time is typically spent on the PDM side. Right. And I give a word of caution. I said, be careful. They're like, what? I'm like, when you go looking, you might find, you'll find things. You will find things. Absolutely. And are you prepared to deal with those things you find? Cause there's no point just finding them and go, Oh, that's going to suck in a couple of weeks. And I got nothing to do about it. Right. Um, so just, you know, to the point and, and so I did have it wrong about focusing on, you know, the, I threw out an example there about focusing on MRO before planning and scheduling or the work identification. Right. Um, but right. Um, th- that's so true. Right. And that's going to come from experience of, of dealing with 39 years of different plant floor. Yeah, let me tag on one thing though, because you're not entirely wrong. <laughs> because <laughs> that's my entire life. I'm not entirely wrong. You said one <laughs> thing right in 40 minutes. You said one thing right there. <laughs> oh boy, that was a faux pas. Uh, <laughs> but the MRO, one of the things, and we're getting a lot of requests for this lately, is the quality of the data in the MRO. You know, in most plants, you can start that long before you start working on the work management or whatever because there is so much work in the data cleansing, so much work. Many companies have grown to the size they are today because they've acquired other companies. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They've all got different databases. They all call their uh, equip their parts different things. Getting that noun modifier, getting the nomenclature to where it's consistent so we can start having a, a common inventory and doing things with that. Yeah, there are elements of the MRO that could easily precede a a strong engagement of work management or the MRO setting up storerooms in each location, uh, refining those. So there are elements that can be done earlier. However, the rubber meets the road. You can get those, that nomenclature well to really accelerate it, like you said, having good work processes, having a well-functioning storeroom and the procedures there. That's really our bread and butter. We work also with folks who do the data cleansing as well, but yeah. Exactly. And it's funny you see that because we see it all the time and you're right. Companies typically grow by mergers and acquisitions. Um, And it's like even the same company will have three, four different CMS systems. Oh, we use this here, we use this here. And that requires a different workflow because they create a workflow for the work order management system, right? Yep. And it's just, it's I, I see it all the time, right? And I think that's a, a really good point is, is, you know, not even the same company will have different issues because of those type of... Right, right. Um, yeah, that, that's good. Well, um, so I'll ask Dan, this was very insightful um, conversation. I think we can go down a different, a bunch of different wormholes on some other podcasts here. Um, and and I want to bring it back to that reliability roadmap that you're talking about, right? Okay. Uh, of one last question, just, just, I think I know the answer, but I don't want to shoot my mouth off here. So we're, is it, can you enter into a reliability improvement? So define that roadmap. Do you have to 
go all in? Can you, you know, start with, you know, as you said, the, the MRO, like, do you have to define what that whole process looks like? You have to define where you want to get to, but is engagements with you, with PCA, and there's going to be people I want to bring, Dan knows what he's talking about, I want to bring him in, but I don't have, you know, a huge budget to plan for the next 12 years, right? So can you put this into systematical puzzle pieces together that making sure they'll fit together to get to that end goal? Uh, you, you definitely can make incremental improvements. Uh, it is the roadmap and developing your roadmap for your company, for your plant. That actually doesn't take a tremendous amount of time. Okay. And I would advocate building that roadmap would be the first thing you want to do and have that available. Now picking off parts of it, making parts of the journey. Yeah. Understanding which ones are the ones you need to do at the front end, which ones are truly the foundational elements that you get those right. You're setting the stage for the future. That's really why you would want to have the roadmap. Um, so that roadmap is the first foundational piece. The and roadmap really should be the first foundational when you, piece. And when you have the experience of someone working with you, like working with people like you, you can develop that roadmap. And what I took away was it's not a it's not a very large effort to define what that roadmap looks like. No, no, the, the elements are pretty common for anybody. I mean, we've mentioned it a couple of times, the, the dirty work, the detail work mm -hmm. comes in applying that roadmap, this culture, this leadership, and the bandwidth of what they're willing to engage. That's where you really need kind of the, some expertise to guide you. Right. But building of the roadmap, a little bit of upfront work can build a good plan for what the, what the future destination, what we want it to be. And you know what? We understand the path to get there. It may be a little bit vague in the far, far reaches getting to that destination. But near term, hey, here are things we can do right now that are going to have some, some return for us. Right. Good. Well, thank you, Dan. Where could the listeners get in touch with you? Uh, as I said, I'll put the blog post and the link uh, on our show notes and send it out. Um, but where can they get in touch with you or find in from more information about uh, PCA? Okay. So to get in touch with me directly, the easiest way is to uh, email me at moss at PCA consulting, M-O-S-S at PCA consulting.com. Okay. So uh, I can follow up on those. The other way would be to call our office and our office is 770-717-717. Two seven three seven. Now we've got an answering service, so uh, leave a message, and that rings uh, either uh, one of us or our office help, and we'll uh, we'll get back to you. Perfect. Well, thank you, Dan. I really appreciate this. It was very very insightful. Summarize the reliability roadmap. Have the end in mind. Know where you are now, and identify the route that is the best fit for your company. Got it? Got it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks, Blair. I enjoyed it. You have a blessed day. You too.